Uh, we're going to continue uh, in this little passage of, of uh, the book of Matthew. We started, uh, gosh, three or four months ago uh, with, a, with a series called Blessed, and we talked about the blessings that are conferred uh, on those who are in the kingdom of God by Jesus in the first 10 verses of Matthew 5. We, we moved from there to the series that we just got done, which was called It's Not What You Think, and uh, we learned that uh, Jesus did not come to abolish everything that had been kind of set up by God in the Old Testament for the Jewish faith, but he did come to fulfill it. And in greater part, he came to correct some of the wrong ideas that people had had about their God and the ways that they should honor him. And, and so uh, he uh, took us through six examples, and we walked through those the past six weeks of, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Now, uh, we're going to go into the next chapter of Matthew, and we're going to see Jesus talk about something that all of us need to be reminded of, whether we are kind of on our way to putting our faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, so glad you're here. So glad you're hanging out with us online. I believe that you're hanging out with us because you are on a journey towards faith in Jesus Christ, and this is just a part of that uh, journey that you're experiencing right now. Uh, but if, if you are on your way to faith in Jesus, or if you've been someone who has had faith in Jesus for a long time, this is a message that helps us understand what that faith is meant to look like. And uh, so we need to hear it this morning. Before I uh, unpack what's here in Matthew 6, I thought we'd have a little conversation amongst ourselves. If you came here with someone, you can share a story with them in this time. Uh, or if you are unsocial and don't want to talk to that person, maybe you had a fight in the car, maybe repent of that and then have the conversation. But, uh, uh, but if you're just by yourself, you could think these things in your own mind. Here's, here's, the, here's the, the story I want you to conjure. Uh, can you remember a time when you're uh, in your life, you sought to do the right thing, but it ended up becoming a huge mess? Sought to do the right thing, and it turned out wrong. Everybody got that? Turn and tell stories. I'll tell you mine in a second. Go. Try not to tell the other person's story. Remember the time when you, I'm sure that's already happened in some of our conversations. All right. Maybe you just had to say a few words because you live with this person and they know exactly what you're talking about when you said it. Uh, maybe some of you had a hard time remembering. I wish I was you. I have no problem remembering the multiple times that I set out to do the right thing and it turned out wrong. It probably started for me, you know, way back when I was a kid in lots of different ways, but one of the more indelible uh, memories uh, of my uh, right motives, right thing, wrong execution uh, was uh, when I, uh, with my sisters, decided to make Mother's Day breakfast for my mom in bed. Has anybody ever done that growing up or been the mom who received this this breakfast? I know they're all bad most of the time unless dad helps out or some other adult helps out. But, but this one was particularly off the, off the, you know, the rails. Uh, we burnt the toast. That's a given. Anytime. Kids don't understand toasters, and they just crank it all the way. Uh, so we burnt the toast. Uh, we, we tried to soft boil the eggs um, and ended up not boiling them at all so that when my mom opened the eggs, it just kind of ran out over the tray. Yeah, sorry about that, Mom. And then, uh, uh, and then on top of that, uh, we, we uh, were looking for the sugar to be able to put some sugar on the cord flakes that we poured way too much milk on and became a big soggy mess by the time we got it up to her. Uh, but my, uh, my parents had, had taken uh, some salt and put it in a, 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 just a baggie that was in kind of by the other uh, you know, uh, ingredients. And, and so we thought, well, this has got to be sugar. And we just took a big handful of salt and threw it on the cornflakes. And, and then presented this, you know, happy Mother's Day to my mother. Uh, and she dutifully, 
as all mothers have to, ladies, if this ever happens to you, Ashley, or whoever, if this ever happens to you, you got to eat it, or at least fake like you are, right? Oh, num, num, num. I think this used to be bread. Mmm, num, num, num. Uh, oh, look at this egg spilling out over the tray. Ooh, salt on the cornflakes. Nice touch, guys. Would have never thought to do that. Yeah, that was early on in life. Later in life, one of my favorite stories of mess-ups is uh, when my father-in-law came to visit us in Texas uh, uh, one year, I decided I was going to show him how I have you know, been progressing as my own man. And so uh, together, we, we sought to change the oil in my wife's minivan. Uh, and to make this story, story a little shorter, um, we got under there. I, I mistook the plugs. I, I, I went to the transmission pan, and I drained the entire car of transmission fluid. And then I put four extra quarts of oil in on top of the oil that needed to be changed. Uh, you're, you're guessing right. The car did not work for long after that. Uh, my wife, you know, began reporting to me later in the week, you know, Mark, the car's kind of uh, running rough. I was like, that's ah, okay. The oil just needs to work itself through there. You know, it's just going to... Uh, and then I, then I finally take it to the, you know, the mechanic that we usually use. And, and what was his first question? Who changed your oil last time? And I didn't want to let on that it was me. So I was like, why do you ask? And that's when I found out that I had drained my engine of transmission fluid. So don't let me work on your car. It's the moral of that story. Uh, but, you know, be uh, encouraged. If you're someone who has ever tried to do the right thing and got the wrong results, you're not alone. To err is human. There's probably another part to that. Uh, but uh, uh, we all mess up. We can have the right idea, certainly have the right heart behind that idea, uh, but the wrong execution comes all too often. Uh, so today, we're going to kind of Head in that direction, sort of, because what we're going to deal with today are people who have the right idea and who have the right execution, but they have the wrong motivation behind what they do. Happens all the time in religious uh, circles, whether it's Christianity or other religions. People uh, performing as the, as the faith would require, but not having a heart behind what they do. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 says this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. By them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He says, hey, please do the right things, but understand that if you're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, it doesn't count. It doesn't register with our Father who is in heaven. Jesus is picking up on something that he had said earlier in his sermon here in the, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He, he had said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when he said this, this you, you're probably not Jewish, so you may not understand how crazy this was when Jesus says it, but, but the guys who were listening, the ladies who were listening to him, their minds just went, You've got to be kidding me. Because if we have all pro-Jews, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. They're the ones who are doing our religion better than anybody else. And what you just said was that if my righteousness does not exceed theirs, I don't get in. The kingdom is not mine. See, they were focused on the actions, on the words, on the, on the outward appearances of these Pharisees. But what Jesus was talking about, as he does through this whole sermon, is like, God sees your hearts. The next words out of his mouth are, listen, 
Uh, let me explain it to you this way. You've heard it said that you shall not murder. And everybody in the crowd went like, yeah, we're not supposed to kill anybody. But I say to you, Jesus says, that if you have anger in your heart, unrighteous anger, the kind of anger that would ultimately result if left unchecked in a murder, if that exists in you, it's as if you've committed the physical murder itself because God sees your heart. He goes on and he says, hey, uh, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. The murder commandment, the adultery commandment, those are in the big ten. It's number six and number seven. And everybody in the crowd went, yeah, that's a bad idea. Don't commit adultery. But then Jesus says, but I say to you that if you look at another woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And we talked about that in this the series that we just did. Jesus is talking about what's going on in here. Not just the absence of the actual actions in our physical lives. And so it is that he says, hey, if you're going to do the right things, do them for the right reasons, because otherwise, I'm not going to see it. My father won't commend it. Again, going back to something that we talked about before, some of you might be thinking, okay, so wait, so we, we shouldn't do righteous things in front of other people, like at all? No, that's not what the scriptures say. Jesus in chapter five had told us, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Go out there and shine on my behalf so that other people can know who I am and follow me with you, right? He's not talking about us living rightly at all. He's, he's wanting that for sure so that we can honor him and glorify him and so that we can draw other people into this life that we have with Christ. Those, those commands to, to, to shine as a light or to season as salt were commands uh, for those of us who uh, so often just want to blend in with the world. Uh, don't want to live differently as Christ followers. We don't want to uh, upset, you know, uh, the equilibrium of the relationships that we're in. And so he says, no, you guys shine. Uh, in fact, uh, the way uh, uh, A.B. Bruce, one of my uh, theologians that I, I read, uh, says, is he says, when show, you should show in life when you're tempted to hide, shine. But as we come into what we're talking about today, A.B. Bruce says, listen, uh, when you're tempted to do the right things for what you can receive for them, for the accolades and adoration of the people around you, stop right there. Because in those situations, you need to hide when you're tempted to show. Show when you're tempted to hide. Hide when you're tempted to show. Oh, good, it's up there. I understand this as a preacher. Now, anybody who gets on a stage in front of you, they're constantly wrestling with, you know, uh, uh, self-image and, and acceptance from the crowd that they're preaching to and, and, and then actually just preaching the unfiltered, un, un, uh, you know, altered truth of God for the sake of people hearing the truth of God. I'll confess that. Like when, when I started preaching, uh, I like to have a good time. I like to be funny. Uh, and, and so these middle schoolers that were my first, you know, listeners, uh, I did my very best to entertain I, I did it under the auspices of I'm going to keep their attention so I can tell them about Jesus. But if I'm being honest as a 22-year-old youth pastor, I was probably doing it just so that they can laugh at me and so that I could feel the, the uh, you know, affirmation of them you know, liking me. Six months into my, my junior high pastor career, one of my uh, you know, more senior, uh, mature believer uh, leaders came up to me and says, hey, Mark, when are we going to start talking about Jesus? Uh, I was like, pardon me? 
She says, I've been listening to you for six months now, and I know every flatulent story from your history, and I know, you know, all the other things that, you know, are, are, are akin to you. Uh, and, and sure, you open the Bible and you say some things about it, but, but if I had to kind of, you know, put this on a scale, I got a lot of you and not a lot of Jesus. You think that maybe should change? I still think we can have a good time at church. Is anybody with me? But if you ever walk out of here and all you can remember is my story about a funny thing that happened to me and you don't know what I talked about from God's word that day, we missed something. Because I am way more interested in you knowing and following God than I am in you knowing and following me. That's why I always tell you, don't hook your wagon up to some dude. The dude's not the point, being a pastor. The point is the God that the dude, the pastor, is meant to be talking to you about. Jesus is going to basically talk about this problem of doing right things for wrong reasons uh, using three different examples uh, here throughout the sixth chapter of Matthew. He's going to start by talking about being generous. When you give, give not so that everybody can see you give, but so that God can be glorified and people can receive. Uh, We've heard this a lot in church. Love your neighbor. Anybody heard that one? Yeah, this whole command to give is tied to that command to love. When we give of ourselves to our church and to other people, we are loving our neighbor. But Jesus says, don't make loving your neighbor through being generous about you. It should always be about glorifying God and providing for them. He says, when you pray, he's going to move from these relationships on this level to this relationship that we're meant to have with God. He's going to say, hey, listen, in that key component of your relationship with God, when you pray, make sure you're praying to him and not for the ears of the people around you. Make it honest and authentic and intimate and real, not as a show for those who might be listening. A little bit later in the chapter, he's going to say this, when you fast, when you go through a, a spiritual discipline, whether one that's self-imposed or one that just is kind of happening because of what's going on in your life's situation. When you're going through difficulties, go through them courageously. You know, authentically, you know, identifying them as they happen, but, but not in such a way that you're drawing attention to yourself and, and creating pity and, 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 and you know, a, a scene around yourself as you walk through them. His whole thing, if you want me to kind of button this up if you have to like tune out, here's the whole sermon. His whole thing is this, be real in your follow of me. I want you, Jesus says, our father loves you and he wants to have life with you, but if your life with him is going to be a show and not for real, keep it. Because Jesus wants us for real. Let's start again with Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Uh, For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He starts with this whole area of generosity. And he says, in essence, give when you give. Give humbly. Verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy. Can I just pause there real quick? Everybody sees that word when, right? Jesus didn't say if. Generosity is a given for Jesus. I could go to other parts of the scriptures and you know, prove this scripturally for you, but just here in this you know, uh, telling of this 
uh, you know, important principle. He just assumes that everybody who follows God is generous when you give. Does everybody get that? Some of us don't. We are generous. If you follow Jesus, you are willing to take what he has provided you and, and, and give that to other people as they have need. Everybody gets that, right? Someone say yes so I can keep going. Okay, some of us do. Good. So that, that certainly can you know, mean giving to your church, and this isn't a sermon about that, but I think we should all, you know, as God has uh, provided for us, provide for his work here through his church. But that might mean that you give to your actual neighbor uh, you know, what they need, or you give to, uh, you know, some other, uh, you know, um, Christian, uh, you know, servant, the things that they need. But, but the implied understanding here, when Jesus says, when you give, is that we give. All right. Is that nail sufficiently hammered? Let's go on. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, those who do that have received their reward. Sounds kind of weird. Wouldn't that be kind of funny? We don't pass the plate anymore, COVID. But uh, uh, when we did pass the plate, wouldn't it be funny if everybody had like their own noisemaker so that as the plate was coming to them, everybody could sound their own trumpet or, or maybe pull out your phone and you got your own giving song, you know, like, right? And, and, and everybody can know that you're about to drop your offering into the plate and you're like, that sounds ridiculous, right? Because it is. And we would never do that as obvious as that in the same way that the people that Jesus were talking to in this, this Jewish religion would never, you know, so ostentatiously Make a big scene. But they would figure out ways to draw attention to themselves so that they would have the adoration of men. The Pharisees were famous on high uh, religious days, feast days in the Jewish faith, uh, for, for bringing a big box full of money uh, into the temple or into the streets outside the temple to, to, to give to the poor. And, and what they would do is they would basically hire like a New Orleans jazz band that would, you know, be a part of some parade there in New Orleans. They, they'd get guys with the shofars, the, 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 the Hebrew uh, horns of the ram, and they would start blowing these things. And they would say to those who are hearing the shofars, this is to make sure that everybody who is poor can come out and get what we got to give. It's kind of like the, the song on an ice cream truck, right? I mean, we've got to let people know we're going to be given today, right? But underneath it all, Jesus has seen their heart. He says, you're not blowing the horn so that all the poor people know to come and get. You're blowing the horn so that everybody you pass down this street as you're about to give can look at you and say, look at that generous guy. Look at Carl. There he goes again. Carl is one righteous Jew. He's given uh, on this special day of giving, and, and, and he's who I want to be like. And Carl's kind of walking like, that's right. Jesus says, no. When you give like that, your reward has already been given to you. What's he saying? There's earthly rewards and there's heavenly rewards. You might get the shine that you're looking for, but that's where it stops because God sees your heart and he says, hmm. That's not so much a gift as it is paying for props, earthly props. I don't want it. He goes on and he tells us what he does want. Jesus says, verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And when you do it this way, your father who sees in secret 
will reward you. I loved studying this this week because I learned something new. Uh, in, in those days, the right hand was the action hand. If you're right-handed, raise your right hand for me. All you lefties, look, you're outnumbered. It's just a fact. There's more of us using our right hands than you lefties who use your left. And so in the culture, the right hand was seen as the hand of action. When I grew up going to church, you would get the right hand of fellowship. It was a hand of action. We, we even read this earlier when we were studying the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about how if someone smacks you on the right cheek, turn him the other cheek also. And we figured out that that means, uh, you know, this backhanded, right-handed slap on your right cheek. It was an insult, but it was another instance of this right hand of action. And so Jesus says, hey, I know everybody, when you drop your offerings in the uh, offering plate or in the temple you know, box, you're giving with your right hand. But here's what I want you to do. When you give, I want your right hand to give in such a way that your left hand doesn't even know that it's going on. Now, this is big. Because he's already said, don't blow the trumpets and let everybody see you give. But now he takes it down another notch, down to another level, to the molecular level of your personal experience. He says, I don't want you personally uh, on the one side to know what your other side is doing. And here's what he's saying. I don't want you keeping a tally of what you've given in your hearts. Because here's what will happen with us, us funky little monkeys, right? We'll give in secret, but we'll be running a spreadsheet. Here's everything that I've given. And in my giving, here's why I think I'm righteous. And because I think I'm righteous, I'm entitled to go do these other things because I'll just give some more and it'll make my balance come out. Everybody see that? He says, no, you don't give and feel good about your giving so that you can, in, in entitlement, go off and do other things that would disobey me. You give in such a way that nothing registers in your heart. You don't have any self-righteous feelings. You don't have any self-righteous thoughts. You just give. And when you give that way, that's when your Father in heaven will reward you. Now, some people will come to this and be like, whoa, wait, I thought we weren't supposed to get a reward for our giving. I, I thought we were supposed to give in such a way that no one would know and we wouldn't even know. Why, why would we even, you know, expect or, or be told that there was a reward coming? Some churches, maybe you went to them, they love this verse, this portion of the verse that says, when you give this way, your Father in heaven will reward you because they, they tell you, listen, if you give to me in my ministry, not only will I send you a sweaty handkerchief that I preached with, but we'll also you know, just get ready to see your bank account grow because you can't outgive God. And if you give these things God, it says right there, the Father in heaven will reward you, right? This is called the prosperity gospel. The blab it and grab it gospel. Uh, this is us giving so as to receive, and that's not what Jesus is teaching. So what does he mean when he says, when you give the right way, your Father in heaven will reward you? Well, it's not like we would think reward all the time. Although, can I just push pause in the sermon for a second? Does everybody think that God loves to bless those who bless him? Does everybody think that that's probably the case? It totally is the case. And so there are times where God, as you give, will give back to you sevenfold, as the scriptures tells us. He'll honor you. It's not an automatic. It's not like you know, some sort of investment that you make that this is the required return. But God loves to give to those who give. Don't hear me say that any different. Are you with me? But this reward that God is talking about is not necessarily a monetary or a, or a, or a physical reward. The reward that he is speaking about here, as Jesus says, the Father in heaven will reward you, is a reward that can't come 
on the levels that most earthlings uh, or, or humans experience reward. It's an inner reward. It's the joy of knowing that your giving has made a difference, even though you've been unnoticed in its provision. I got this buddy uh, in Dallas. His name's Gary. And uh, Gary has been blessed by God. He's super good at his job, and he has lots of money to show for it. But he's super generous. One of his favorite things to do is to go into Jack in the Box there in Texas and, and take like $1,000 in $100 bills and just plop it on the, on the counter next to the cash register. And he instructs the person working the cash register that night on a busy night where Jack in the Box would just be filled with customers. He says, listen, I'm paying for everybody's meal tonight. Uh, and whatever's left you can have makes the cash register guy happy. He says, but here's the deal. I'm going to sit back there and nurse a Diet Coke. And you can't look at me and you can't reference me as the guy who paid for these people's meals. But I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to have the blessing of watching as people walk in and receive from me. And he's told me the stories of how at different times, you know, because people get pretty excited over, you know, $40 of Jack in the Box. And in different times, the, the person receiving this free food will just express to the person behind you, who's doing this? Who, doesn't matter, man. Just someone wants to buy your meal tonight. Well, can I tell you a story? I just got off from my second job before I go to my third job. Now, I got these three kids. I'm a single mom. I didn't have time to do anything for dinner tonight. Didn't have time to go get the groceries. I was going to put this meal on my charge card, which I, I don't have the balance for, and it was just going to be another way that I sink deeper and deeper into the hole that I live in. But now, someone has made this difference. It's going to be the best cheeseburger I've had in a long time. And Gary just gets back, to, sits back in the back. That's the Diet Coke. And just gets to enjoy what the Father in heaven gives him as a reward, which is the anonymous joy of seeing something that God has given him make a difference in someone else's life. Now, this is not a sermon that says you got to go to Chick-fil-A this week and drop a thousand bucks. Does everybody hear me on that? If you want to, God leads you to do that, have fun. I hope you enjoy it as much as Gary does. But it is a sermon that says, first of all, everybody gives. It's who you are if you follow Christ. You're generous. But when you give, you don't give so as to be seen and applauded. You give in such a way that you're Left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. It doesn't even register as prideful in your heart. And you give so that the glory of God can go forward and so that the benefit of man can be experienced. And that's your reward. The second thing he teaches is this. He tells us that we need to pray to God and not for others. And I wrote that down as, a, as kind of this statement slide, and I'm like, People are going to you know, watch this for 30 seconds and think that I'm telling you never to pray for other people. I am telling you to pray for other people. Is everybody with me on this? But I'm talking about your audience here. When we pray, we pray to an audience of one. We do not pray for the sake of those listening to us. We've got to be careful with the ears that we choose to pray to. And you're going to hear me say this in just a second. We don't refuse to pray in public because we're afraid of sounding dumb to human ears. I'll cover that in a second. Because there's this general reticence amongst the followers of Jesus Christ to be uh, vocal in an out loud prayer. And I think it's all rooted in the fact that we're way too concerned about what everybody in the circle is going to think and less concerned about what our Heavenly Father, who we're actually praying to, is thinking. Are you with me? 
But Jesus says, hey man, when you pray, pray to God and not to or for the sake of others. Look at what it says in verse five, and when, again, Jesus assumes that we do this, when you pray, you must not be like those hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. Later in Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 18, he tells this story about a Pharisee, remember them, uh, and a tax collector who go into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee in Luke 18 stands in front and loudly gestures to his God and says, thank you. Thank you, God, that I am uh, not like this guy. And he points to the tax collector. And then he rattles off his stats like he's some kind of NBA player. Points, assists, rebounds. He says, I fast twice a week. Uh, I, 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 I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. I'm not like this guy. Thank you, God, that I'm me and not him. This guy, Jesus tells a story, is off in the corner. He's praying quietly uh, to God by himself. And he's praying prayers of contrition. Have mercy on me, God. I'm, I'm wicked. I know who I am. I know who you are. I need you and what you can give me. And Jesus says, two guys go to the temple to pray. Which one walked out justified? One the Pharisee. It was the guy who prayed to God for real. And certainly, in the same way that a as I said earlier in the opening of this thing, a preacher can get up and make this all about himself. People who publicly pray or publicly lead in the church can do righteous things for the shine that they can receive from the other followers. Jesus says, don't do that. If you do that, you've already received a reward in full. But verse six tells us, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Certainly most of our prayers in life will be private prayers. I like to do it in the car. Does anybody else like to pray in the car? It's like one of the most private moments I have. Most of the other ones, there's people around. And so I like just clicking the thing off and I literally pray out loud, which is more acceptable now. People have like, you know, voice calls and all that kind of stuff. So when you see someone you pulled up next to in traffic talking by themselves, you're not like, oh, that guy's crazy. But you know, even before then, I would just kind of pray out loud to God in the car and have conversations with them as I drive. I pray in my office, I pray in my house, you pray where you pray. We should pray privately. And we should pray without ceasing, the Bible says. We should live this kind of life where we are constantly in tune with, uh, you know, in connection with our God in the decisions that we have to make. Asking him for wisdom, thanking him. I hope you do that. When, when things happen and, and go right, I hope your first move is, God, you're so good, thank you. Not a lot of coincidence, or that's weird. No, it's a, we, we're meant to constantly be in touch with God. But when we do get up in public situations and pray, certainly it should not be about the ears that are listening to me, whether that would feed my pride, or it should not be about the ears that were listening to me and that would keep me from praying out loud. Can I just, I'm gonna confront this, here it comes. Uh, uh, for years in my life group, it was hard for me to get guys to pray. They just wouldn't want to. It came down to this. Whoever was last had to pray. I'm like, it's, it's some kind of punishment. I'm punishing the last guy with prayer. Yay, right? 
shouldn't be that way. Let me just say this really clearly for everybody. If you're afraid to pray out loud, and I get it, most people, you'd rather die than do this right now. You'd rather die. Do not give me the mic. I don't want to be in front of everybody. And I get that because uh, self-image and, and worrying about sounding right and saying the right things, we don't want to be you know, seen as an idiot and, 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 and you know, disappoint those who would listen to us. I get it. On a human level, I get it. But prayer is different. You are not praying to the people in your life group. You are not praying for their approval. No one's going to hold up like some you know, ice skating judge scores after your prayer. 5.8 from the French guy. That is not the point of prayer. And so I just don't understand why someone would be like, mm, I don't want to pray out loud. You're not praying to us. You're praying to him. And you know what you need to do? You need to take the Damas school of prayer. You're like, what's that? I had this coach in college uh, who uh, you know, was one of the grad assistants on the basketball team that I played for at Moody Bible Institute. And you got to know that we closed every practice in prayer. Now, when a, when a teammate of mine was asked to pray, he understood. We got to pray fast because the dining room's going to close and we got to eat dinner tonight. And so every teammate kind of had like that three-second prayer. Rub-a-dub-dub, Lord, thanks for the grub. Amen. Something like that, right? And we just rattle it off, and we'd bust out and get our shower and get to, the, get to the dining hall. Every once in a while, our coach would ask Coach Damas to pray. And <laughs> there would be a collective sigh when Coach Damas was asked to pray because we knew we weren't going to make dinner that night. And some of you think, well, isn't he, he's probably praying so all the years. He could care less that there was anybody else in the gym when the guy prayed. And he's... Sean DeMoss is one of the reasons I'm standing before you, because he's one of the first guys that I at least understood was doing this for real. You know how he showed me? When it came time for him to pray, he forgot everybody else that was around him, and he just prayed to his Father in heaven. So picture it, 15 sweaty college students, all body fluids just leaking out over, every, you know, and we're all in this huddle, and then here comes Sean De John DeMoss's arm, right over the top. And here's how he'd start. <sighs> Later on, as we became friends, I'm like, what are you doing? Why do you breathe in and out before you pray so we can leave? He's like, first of all, I'm not praying so you can leave. Secondly, I'm trying to get out of the scene I'm in and get in to the throne room of God. And so I do that so I can block you out and have a conversation with my father. And you got to know that when Sean DeMoss prayed, it was different. Why? Because it was different. The rest of us were just trying to get to a meal. Everybody's going to go to lunch here in a second. Careful now. Don't be going all rub-a-dub-dub. Because -dub. that's certainly a prayer of some form, but maybe God wants more. Pray from your heart. Took my son, uh, Cooper, out uh, for breakfast yesterday morning with, with Eleanor, and he gets this. And we're sitting in Martha's having, you know, some, some skillets, and, and I asked him to pray, and then I thought, oh, wait a minute, that might have been a mistake. Because Cooper's going to pray for like 10 minutes. Well, not that long, but it feels like that. Anybody ever been there? 
and the food's getting cold, but, but Cooper just doesn't, he gets, he's, he's been to the DeMoss School of Prayer. It's like, I'm just going to talk to God. You can wait. That's how we should pray. From our hearts, not for the shine, to the right ears. Not so that we get noticed, but so that God hears us and gives us his answers, his reward as we honestly seek him. I don't have really time to talk about this last one, but I'll just go into it real quick. When we go through spiritual tests, things like we impose on ourselves like fasting or, or just stuff in life, we need to do it courageously. In verse 16, I'm skipping over the Lord's Prayer. We'll teach that some other time. Is everybody cool with that? doesn't matter. It's what's happening. We get down to verse 16, and, and Jesus continues his, his thoughts here. He's talked about don't, when you give, don't give this way. When you, when you pray, don't pray this way. And he's going to say when you fast, again, assuming that we fast, uh, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, one more time, they've received their reward in full. The Pharisees, uh, in that same story that Jesus tells in Luke 18, uh, the Pharisee announces as he's comparing himself to the tax collector, I fast twice a week. The Pharisees fasted on Monday and Thursday every week. Some of you are like, well, I've been fasting since breakfast. <laughs> yeah, these, uh, these Pharisees were, were dedicated to this ritual in their religion, but they were doing it not so they could honor God or spend time with God or dedicate themselves to him in different ways. They were doing it so they could tell everybody else that they did it. And I know no Christians in here would ever do something spiritual or for God so that they could report it to the life group the next week they get together or so that they could kind of put that on their, you know, their Facebook page or, or you know, their LinkedIn or something like that. I know none of us would ever do anything for God so that we could somehow absorb some of the love for what we did. Maybe I'm being sarcastic. But the Pharisees did. They did all kinds of things for God. And when they were going through troubled times, you could tell. Oh, I'm so hungry. It's Monday night. I haven't eaten since last night. Oh, it's so terrible. Thursday's coming. I'm not going to eat that. Either. Oh, I'm such a good follower of God. Jesus says, don't do that. In the same way as with the, the giving and with the prayer, when you... When you when you, uh, as a matter of self-discipline, uh, choose to enter into difficulty. When your life, I would expand this, when your life goes through a difficult season that's not of your own choice. Here's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to lie. Like right now, my, my back's out. And, and, and as a guy, I don't want to go to doctors. Any fellows with me, right? Uh, and, and I would rather not ever tell you that my back's out because some of you are going to tell me, here's my, you know, chiropractor. And, you know, and I'm like, thank you. Um, but I just don't want to go through with that, right? Uh, what Jesus is saying is don't like be in denial. Don't hide uh, the, the storms that you're going through. Uh, but don't make a big fuss about it in such a way that people, uh, you know, uh, glom on to you and, 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 and pity you and, and provide for you in ways that God may want to provide for you by himself. I, uh, I love what Jesus says next. When you fast, when you go through these spiritual disciplines, instead of you know, 
seeing it on your face. Here's what I want you to do. He says, anoint your head. People didn't have showers back then. And so a lot of times they would just kind of rub some sweet smelling stuff on them, you know, like uh, deodorants and, and perfumes and stuff like that. Anoint your head, wash your face. What's he saying? Go through your normal routines. Have a normal day. Why? So that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Yeah, fascinating line of teaching here from Jesus. Do right things, but more importantly, do them for the right reasons. The bottom line in all of this can be summed up in this way. Jesus wants our real. I don't think that's a very good English sentence, but I hope you pick up what I'm trying to put down. He wants us for real. He doesn't want some kind of hypocritical, you know, act that we do for the sake of everybody around us. And it's so easy for us to get into that as Christians. Everybody look at me. It's so easy for us to slide into that. Whether we're brand new at this or seasoned and long into this. No one can see our motivations except God in heaven. And so you can be serving here. You could be on our staff. I pray not. You could be leading a life group and and, and doing everything that looks righteous and in your heart be so far from God, I could never tell. You can snow me and anybody else here, but listen to me. You cannot fool the God who knows you, who made you. And so it is that every once in a while, we've got to run a check. We've got to make sure that we haven't, unbeknownst to us, slipped into this habitual righteousness, this cultural righteousness that plagues the church in every era. We need to have our hearts stirred to to love God for real and from the real do our righteousness. Absolutely do the right things, but do them from a heart that genuinely desires the approval and the glory of God alone. I wonder where you're at right now. I wonder, as you've been listening to this, if you've been spending your time thinking about all the other fake people in your life. Oh, that's this guy. Oh, that's her. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They needed this one. But perhaps in this moment, the spirit is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, he's not talking about them. He's talking about you. He's talking about what's going on in this area of your life. Because you're, you're putting on a good show for everybody else, but you know that you know that you know that that's not for the right reasons, that you're doing it for something other than the glory of God. And I believe that God wants to have a moment with all of us in here. Whether we're just starting in the faith, even even if we're not even a part of the faith yet, he wants us to understand that if if we're going to start this walk with him, he wants it for real from the beginning all the way through until we go to see him or he comes back. So I'm just going to give you that time right now. Can you bow with me? I want you to ask our Heavenly Father, Is there anything in me that I'm doing for you that isn't for real?
in this moment if the Spirit directed you to some things. Here's how I want us to end today. I want us just to respond to God with those things in mind that maybe haven't been rightly pointed in his direction. I want us to have awe for him. I want us to have uh, a life for him that's for real. And so we're going to sing that song we sang right before I came out to preach. And I want us to sing it from our hearts, truly, as a statement of how we are with our God, that we're in awe of him. Will you stand with us as we sing? Father, that's the, the prayer of my heart today, that I would do whatever I do uh, for you, with you, uh, with the awe <laughs> that I'm meant to have in life for you. I, I, I pray that for all my friends who are here in this room and hanging out with us online. Uh, God, it's so easy for us to slide into behaviorism, into you know doing things without the right heart behind it. Uh, would you confront that in us, God? Would you remind us of your glory and majesty and, 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 and bring us into awe over who you are? And then from that, God, from that real, awe, authentic love and passion for you, would you lead us into life uh, so that when we give, we give in right ways, that when we pray, we pray in right ways, that when we fast and walk through spiritual trials, uh, we do it in such a way that you get the glory you deserve. You are the audience of one, Father. May we live our lives for you and for you alone. And may you be glorified through them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming to God's church this morning. God bless you as you go. Love them for real. We'll talk to you next time.